Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Today's date is October 12th. It's actually my birthday. I didn't realize it until I said that date out loud. But yeah, it's my birthday, 26 years old. And I'm going to be going over the recap of this past week's game between the Dolphins and the San Francisco 49ers. And then after that, I got a question on Twitter uh, about the Dolphins potentially using the first overall pick if they get it with the Houston Texans one again, hypothetically. Do they use it on Trevor Lawrence? That will be discussed after the recap of the game between the Dolphins and the 49ers. So we'll begin here with the recap and I'll summarize it by saying this was a good game I think to silence the doubters because so far this season the Dolphins have two wins that a lot of people were projecting them to lose and then they came out there and they looked dominant in both of those wins. So I think that's a good way to summarize it. Silence the doubters and that's what the Dolphins did on Sunday defeating the San Francisco 49ers by a score of 43 to 17. The Dolphins with that win moved to 2 and 3 on the season and I think have earned the respect of a lot more people with a win that was this dominating. Now to me this was just a game that was a merciless showcase of dominance by the Miami Dolphins. It's something that I have been wanting to say for years. The Dolphins led the 49ers by a score of 30 to 7 at the half. It's a situation that I think is only comparable if you think back to that 2015 game versus the Houston Texans where they won 40 to 26 but since then we haven't really seen something quite to this level now I will say in all fairness not to be a downer but just to you know be fair and realistic it's hard for me to say that they beat the NFC champions which I've seen being thrown around on Twitter a lot and I know technically they did but to me you know the team was missing Nick Bosa Richard Sherman Emmanuel Mosley Kawan Williams Tevin Coleman Jimmy Garoppolo was just coming back now that isn't to say that the win isn't impressive, but I'm not going to say the 49ers right now are even close to being a top five team like they were last year. So regardless of that, it goes without saying there are several units that deserve a ton of praise for this game, but I will begin it with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now all week, fans, media members, everyone was clamoring for the Dolphins to replace Fitzpatrick with rookie Tua Tungavailoa. And I will say even personally, I was skeptical about Fitzpatrick's role on the team for the immediate future, but Fitzpatrick came out here, responded by going 22 for 28 with 350 yards and three touchdowns. He came into this game as the only quarterback to have started each and every game without a pass of 40 plus yards, and in this game alone, he had two of those. And I said in my preview a few days ago, the Dolphins offense would have to push the ball downfield in order to win this game. Uh, throughout the season, their lack of aggressiveness on offense defined the team leading up into this game. But today, that idea just went completely out the window. The Dolphins offense finally opened up and Fitzpatrick was five for six on passes beyond 20 yards in this game. Preston Williams was the target of plenty of criticism before this game. Through the first four games, Preston Williams had six catches for 89 yards and one touchdown. In this game alone, he had four catches for a career-high 104 yards and also a touchdown. This really looked like the Preston Williams that a lot of people were, you know, very excited about, that they expected to have a breakout season before his injury. In this game, he was coming down with contested catches, capitalizing 
capitalizing on one-on-one -on -one situations, it was really exciting to see. And I also said back in my preview that receivers not named Parker must step up in this game. And when I said that, I was hinting at Preston Williams, at Mike Gesicki, and they both stepped up in this game. Gesicki came down with a huge 70-yard reception, and he also had a big day. He finished the game with 91 yards. And even then, those guys had big days, but Devontae Parker also continues to thrive. He had 50 yards and a nice touchdown reception also in this game. Now, if there was any receiver here who did not have a good outing, it was Jakeem Grant. And I hate to say it, but the Jakeem Grant experiment may be nearing its end. And that is because, uh, you know, special teams is his biggest value to the team. He was supposed to be, and he was at times, an elite level talent when it came to kick returns and potentially punt returns. But he is a liability when it comes to simply fielding a punt. He muffed a punt return in this game, which could have cost the team, you know, a ton of momentum. It would have been, uh, you know, the 49ers would have had it right in the Dolphins' red zone. So there is a lot of risks there. And I just think that when Jakeem Grant, you know, can't contribute much on special teams, and you have to ask, well, how much does he contribute as a receiver? And the answer is, you know, not too much. So I have to wonder if his time is nearing its end. And unless he really starts to ball out towards the middle and tail end of the season, I'm really worried that the Jakeem Grant experiment uh, may be kind of close to its end here in Miami. Now, this was another great game for the running backs, I thought. Jordan Howard was inactive, a healthy scratch, and that led to more volume for Miles Gaskin. Gaskin would finish this day with 57 yards rushing, five catches for 34 yards. He also had an easy goal line score and looks to be the goal line back if Jordan Howard continues to be inactive for the team. So if you're thinking fantasy football wise, that increases Miles Gaskin's value, you know, exponentially. Now, Matt Breida continues to flash. It's just elite speed. He came down with his nice 31 yard run after the catch. His strides are beautiful. He's just a hard guy to get a hand of because he is moving so fast. He finished this game here with 59 total yards in this game. So this is going to sound like a broken record, but when it comes to the offensive line, it was another solid performance yet again. Left tackle Austin Jackson, who was placed on the IR, kind of left a vacancy. So the Dolphins adjusted and they did that by moving Jesse Davis over to left tackle and they put rookie Robert Hunt over at right tackle. And when you're looking at Robert Hunt, I think he did a respectable job considering it was his first game. It wasn't perfect by any means. There were a few occasions where he was just getting pushed around by linebacker Fred Warner, you know, just pushed right back into Fitzpatrick. But nonetheless, I thought it was a promising start for a rookie who's going up against a very tough San Francisco defensive line. Now, I will say that Ryan Fitzpatrick, when it comes to his pocket presence, is, you know, the guy is great. He is able to move around and he is very aware of what's happening around him. So in that sense, you know, you're not always going to have a guy who is that good. So I can see why some people are going to... Uh, want to criticize his performance more and just generally the offensive line, but personally, I think they did solid. Now, before we get into the defense here, Ryan Fitzpatrick called the Dolphins fake punt in the third quarter of this game, the biggest play of the game. The ball was snapped directly to Clayton Fedulum on fourth and one. He was able to pick up the first down, and that drive would end with a touchdown pass to Preston Williams. And another little note here with the special teams, if my life were ever in jeopardy for some reason, and I needed a field goal to be 
converted in order to save me, I would have absolute trust in Jason Sanders. Sanders has been automatic all season. He went five for five in this game. That puts his season total at nine for nine. The guy is just as automatic as they come. Now, we get into the defense here. Defensively, this was the best game of the season for the Dolphins. I said in my preview that their performances had ranged from atrocious to not so bad. Well, this was a really, really good performance by them. They are well-deserving of praise for this game. And I think the pressure that the defense was able to apply in this game is what really defined that entire side of the ball for Miami. They finished the game here with five sacks and eight quarterback hits. Both interceptions in this game looked like they were a product of what was really solid pressure by the Dolphins. And it was clear that both C.J. Beathard and Jimmy Garoppolo throughout this whole game were just really uncomfortable on most of their dropbacks. And that plays a huge factor in some of these guys' decision-making, and it led to some big mistakes. Now, Emmanuel Ogba, who was impressive, you know, really impressive the last two weeks. I've been talking about him a lot. He continued that this week. He had a strip sack towards the end of this game, which put Miami in position to score. He also had a deflected pass at the line of scrimmage. The guy was just getting back there constantly, and he continues to be a really good player at the defensive line. Zach Sealer, who is slowly becoming a fan favorite, also had another sack this week where he just blew by Trent Williams. And then there was another play in this game where Sealer with Emmanuel Ogba and Kyle Van Noy were both in the face of Jimmy Garoppolo leading to an interception. So overall, Sealer is disruptive on that line. and He is well-deserving of a lot more snaps for this team. Uh, Jerome Baker led the Dolphins in tackles, and he also had a very big sack in this game. He just blitzed right down the center nearly untouched and was able to get a very easy sack on C.J. Beathard. And then Andrew Van Ginkle also had a strip sack in this game. He beat his man along the edge. He laid this vicious hit on Jimmy Garoppolo from his blind side. The ball was recovered, though, by San Francisco. Now, safety Eric Rowe was also very great in this game. He was the one who was, at times, tasked with covering the best tight end in all of football. It's a guy who was coming off of a huge 183-yard performance, and that is George Kittle. But Kittle would finish his game with four catches for 44 yards. It was a combination of uh, coverage from Eric Rowe. It was a combination of J uh, Jerome Baker and just this general zone that was utilized by the Dolphins against Kittle, and it rendered him a non-factor. It was huge for this game. And the pressure as well. It seems like the, the 49ers were forced to keep George Kittle in more to help with that pressure than they would have liked to do so. Um, now, this will also sound familiar, but Xavier Howard is once again tied for the NFL lead in interceptions this season. He came down with his third pick of the season, each of them occurring in three straight games. His interception in this one came with 14 seconds left in the half, and it put the Dolphins in position to score a field goal. Right before that, Bobby McCain also had an interception. He made a good play on this. Uh, you know, it looked like a rush decision by Jimmy Garoppolo. He took advantage of it and it was a good play by Bobby McCain. These two interceptions would lead to the benching of Jimmy Garoppolo who was making his return back from an ankle injury that had sidelined him for two weeks. The 49ers replaced him then with C.J. Beathard. Now, the Dolphins getting out to a big lead early on and forcing the 49ers to throw was probably the deciding factor of this whole game. No receiver for the 49ers 
had more than 44 yards in this game. Raheem Mostert was having a very productive day on the ground. He had 90 yards on only 11 carries. If there was really any negative about this game, it was that the 49ers had several drives in this game that were just dominated by their ability to run on this Dolphins defense. And while I do think the linebackers did a great job in coverage and they did a great job at applying pressure on blitzes, it seems like they overcommitted on a handful of plays and that just led to a lot of open field for Raheem Mostert. And to me, this was mostly evident again with Landon Roberts. He had several good plays where he applied pressure on passes and he would go straight down the center and just, you know, full send it. But then there were some plays where the exact same thing would happen and he was basically just so far out of position that he was out of the play right at that moment. So to me, that was what stood out on a lot of these run plays. Of course, I'll get to watch more as the, the coach's film comes out and I get to watch it. Uh, but just right now, my observation was that it looked like the linebackers were over pursuing and just by nature of the Dolphins sending a lot more blitzes in this game, it kind of led to there being some more open room in the second level for the 49ers. Now, my takeaways uh, from this game, the first one is that to a time might not be so near after all. After Fitzpatrick's performance last week, it would have been hard to convince anyone that Tua time wasn't on the horizon, but now after yesterday's game, the offense looked good enough to compete with most teams. And as a reminder, Fitzpatrick is one of the streakiest quarterbacks of all time, so there's a legitimate chance I'm writing about a poor outing from him next week, just a few days from now. But he definitely did enough, I think, to retain his job for at least a few Few more games. Now, my next takeaway here is that this defense can be good if there's some pressure. And I know everyone's going to say, oh, of course, all defenses would be good if there's pressure. But with the Dolphins, I think they could be really, really good. And I say that because there are ball hawks all around on this secondary. Xavier Howard and Byron Jones look like the duo they were supposed to be in this game. Bobby McCain and Eric Rowe, both of the guys are cornerbacks turned safeties who can also make plays on the ball. All it takes is one bad decision from a quarterback for these guys to take advantage of it and capitalize. Those two interceptions before the half, I think, killed any momentum that the 49ers had. So if the Dolphins can continue to apply pressure, it will be a win-win because either the coverage is going to be enough that the quarterback can't make a decision and he gets sacked, or he's going to make a decision and it's going to be a bad one and there's a potential turnover. Now, my last takeaway for this game is that an aggressive offense is a better offense. Fitzpatrick has been a risk-taking gunslinger his whole career, and that is when he plays best. Even with the added risk, I think I would prefer the Dolphins' offense to play aggressively like they did here and take those risks as opposed to playing this painfully conservative style of football. The NFL right now is trending more and more towards verticality. I think it's time for the Dolphins to just embrace it and take Take those risks. So guys, that is going to end my recap for this game. Is there anything that you think I missed or is there anybody you think deserves more credit? Of course, I said the coach's film isn't out yet, so I'll be taking a look at that. Are there any plays that you would like for me to post or dive into? I'd be glad to do that as well. Now, I did get a question on Twitter that I do want to go over because I thought it was a good question, and it is from uh, Tone Lantern who asked a question last time, and he said, what if the Finns get their first overall pick from Houston, the Jets finish number two, and let's say the Jets offer Miami three number ones for Trevor Lawrence. It's the Finns' best offer. Do you pull 
the trigger. Now, I said, of course, assuming that we get to see Tua at some point this season and he comes out there and he is looking good and meeting the expectations that everybody had, I think if the Jets were to offer uh, you know, a second round pick or two in that deal because you're giving them up to somebody in your own division, the potential that you know they could be haunting you for years and years, uh, I think they need to add a little bit more. I'd be willing to give up less and send them somewhere else than as opposed to, uh, to somebody in the same division. Uh, but... For me, it's hard to completely dismiss the idea of the Dolphins preferring Trevor Lawrence over Tua as it stands right now because Trevor Lawrence is, again, a prospect that has been so highly regarded. His hype level is at a level that has only been there with guys like Andrew Luck and maybe like Peyton Manning. His hype level is extremely high and it seems like you know people view him as about as sure a thing as you can be when it comes to being a professional quarterback a good successful one so that's hard to ignore and then on top of that uh, the injuries throughout Tua's career because it wasn't just the hip you know it's been the ankles he's had uh, several injuries and Trevor Lawrence doesn't have any of that and he's had in college about as a successful career as Tua had the guy is 6'6 he is you know physically a really built sturdy guy as well. So there is definitely a lot to like about Trevor Lawrence that doesn't have the added baggage of that injury. So if Tua were to play and not meet expectations or maybe not play at all, I don't think it's an absolute zero chance the Dolphins don't pick Trevor Lawrence just because of how he is viewed as a generational quarterback, as such a rare uh, talent. You know, there are some teams that I think have what people view as a franchise quarterback who are also going to be reassessing their whole situation and contemplating uh, picking up Trevor Lawrence or making a move, whatever the case may be. Now, I will say my initial opinion when I heard it would be, uh, you know, pick up both and let them battle it out. But then the more I thought about it, I, I don't think you can do that. If you pick both, it's kind of like that saying people have when it comes to relationships. You know, if, if you have to pick between me and somebody else, pick the other person, you know? And when it comes to that, if you pick Trevor Lawrence right after you pick Tua, what does that say about your confidence in Tua? You're kind of just basically saying at that point that we didn't trust you and we didn't believe in you. And that goes against everything that the Dolphins have been saying when it comes to Tua. And I don't think that would be good at all. So I don't think there's really a possibility that you pick both and let them duke it out. Because at that point, you know, you're tarnishing whatever you have with Tua. You're burning a bridge there. That is not going to go over well. And even if he wins that competition, the fact you had a competition and brought somebody else in that soon, I don't think that's going to be something that's going to be viewed in a respectful manner. So I think the Dolphins' options are going to be either you pick Tua or Trevor Lawrence. I don't think the uh, option to pick both and let them battle it out is really uh, really realistic the more I think about it. But of course, nonetheless, you guys know me. I'm a huge Tua fan. I'm a huge advocate. I am very optimistic about him meeting those expectations. And I would be completely fine if the Dolphins get that first overall pick and they trade and get just this massive haul in return for it. I would love for it to be a team that isn't the Jets, but I would be completely fine with building a solid team around Tua uh, if all signs point to him developing fine and the injury being a non-factor. So when it comes to the value, I would just ask the Jets to throw in some more second round picks because I do think they would be able to get more for a guy like Trevor Lawrence. And I'd be trying really hard to see if I could get a deal with somebody else and find somewhere else to send them. So guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up this episode. As always, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so. That is at via the source, or you can follow me at Shady Steven, or you can follow me at both. I'd be you know super appreciative if you were to 
do that. Uh, I saw that I got some new reviews on the Apple Podcast app. You guys are amazing, and that is awesome. Greatly appreciate that as well. Uh, if you prefer a video format, I have been posting a lot of the podcast over on YouTube, so you can also check it out at via the source. And if there are any questions or topics you guys would like for me to discuss, I would gladly do so. But guys, that is how I'm going to wrap it up. Until next time, I'm Steve Amasso, and this was Via the Source.